0: From the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania and SiriusXM, this is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. The conversation you're about to hear was originally recorded on the Work and Life radio show on SiriusXM 111, business radio powered by Wharton. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project, and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman.
1: Ellen Galinsky is the chief science officer at the Bezos Family Foundation, where she serves as executive director of a program called Mind in the Making, a national initiative to share research on the development of young children. In addition, she's senior research advisor for the Society for Human Resource Management. Ellen has decades of experience identifying important societal questions as they emerge, conducting research to seek answers, and turning the findings into action. As one example, in Six Stages of Parenthood, she chronicled her study of how parents grow and change as adults. She helped establish the field of work and life in the 1980s and co-founded the Families and Work Institute. In 1989, she's been president of since 1996. She wrote the best-selling book, Mind in the Making, which is her research on young people dropping out of the learning process and what to do about it. I am very pleased and proud to say that Ellen has been a friend and a colleague for decades. So now get set to listen and learn from a founder of the work and life field who has seen change and created change, hear about the history of this field, where we are now, where we need to go from here to create a world that's better for our children, and get some information about useful resources to help children in your life thrive. It's Ellen Galinsky. Uh, Ellen Galinsky, welcome to Work and Life.
0: Thank you so much, Stu. It's such a pleasure to be with you always.
1: Well, I'm glad you're here, and uh, I have so many questions I want to ask you about. Let me just begin uh, with with your perspective on um, on where we are right now. You and I have seen enormous change and great progress for men and women in the workforce and for children, but. As far as we've come, there's still so much work to be done. How would you characterize the current state of working parents in America?
0: It's wonderful. You anticipated exactly what I wanted to talk about. Good. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Um, I, um, my daughter, not so long ago, uh, had a baby, and I went out with her uh, to look for child care, and Stayed with her, lived with her for a number of the early months of um, of Zay's life, and it just gave me a chance to revisit where we've come in a very personal way. Sure, it wasn't as far as I wanted. Um, so
1: wait, you say it was as far as you wanted? It was
0: not as far as ah. I wanted. In fact, at one point when we looked at a particularly crummy childcare situation. My daughter turned to me and she said, "Did you accomplish anything in your life?" Oh wow! She <laughs> was only joking. Only daughters can do. <laughs>
1: oh my gosh. I said,
0: "Yes, actually, I did. I feel quite <laughs> feel quite good about it." Um, Despite it what you were kinda,
1: seeing right then and there.
0: Not no. She was seeing crummy childcare, oh, and mm-hmm. I don't. I think that it was your kids who got you interested in in these issues of work and family life, wasn't it? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, the the arrival of my firstborn was what really transformed my thinking in action about what I could do with my life and career yes me, me, me too mm-hmm. and
0: um, even though I was in child development that was um, my field of study mm-hmm. that was what I was doing professionally when my son was born uh, I encountered the problems that that uh, parents today still face which is it was really hard to manage um not many women worked in my year. I was one of the first and only people in my neighborhood to actually work. So hmm. uh, finding child care was a nightmare. There was no such thing as child care resource and referral. You couldn't call up anyone to figure out w- where the child care was. There was no care.com. There was no life care. There, was no, um, there were no programs to help you child care aware. There was no programs to help you find it. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I actually sat in. Um, this was after my uh, son Philip was born. I sat in uh, at Bank Street College where I worked on the very first meeting where Child Care Resource and Referral got created. Um, the Ford Foundation had mm-hmm. had discovered that there were these women, and they were women at that time, all over the country who were not many of them, but you know en- enough to f- to, f- to come together in a room. Uh, who were facing that problem of, where do you look for child care? How do you know if it's good? Uh, and in, in in those days, no computers. It was like those index card boxes.
1: Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Remember no, wait. those? So this is the 70s, right? Late this 70s? Is this,
0: this is the 70s. Exactly right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was writing a book called The New Extended Family Daycare. That was became the name of a daycare that works um, uh, before we called it child care. mm mm-hmm. Uh, I was invited to the to that meeting, and it was people who who from california from new york from uh south carolina from uh, all over the country who who were doing this and didn 't even know each other got together and that was the beginning of what now is child care aware with four hundred organizations serving you know the close to four hundred million children born every year, so in that way, I could tell my daughter we 've actually Made uh, some progress <laughs> um, but does business support this very much It's actually gone up um, when we started to track how much business supports helping parents find um, ch- childcare and know that it's quality uh, it was forty five percent in two thousand and five and it's up to fifty six percent it's not you know not skyrocketing but it's gone up a little
1: that's fifty six percent of private sector firms providing
0: help providing childcare resource and referral helping people okay. find childcare mm-hmm. um, these are these are um, firms with um, uh, over 50 50 or more employees so uh-huh. it's not the real small companies in the United States but it is a good representative group um, we've done this study actually since 1998 since uh, Bill Clinton's conference on child care was the first time we did this study but we've create a format where we can track the changes since 2005, and so
2: mm-hmm. we know how,
0: how much things have changed. So that's changed. Um, I couldn't find child care for Philip, as I told you,
2: mm-hmm. and
0: I went through one kind of scary to another scary situation, and I thought, I'm, I, I know what's good. This is crazy so i eventually just brought my son to work with me and a teacher at the college where i worked a, f- a faculty member was on sabbatical and she gave us her office and we sn- we snuck our kids in and um uh, brought in a uh, a person, and we had um, an on-site child care center. <laughs> um, it was not legal, but there were, you know, two kids, and it took me another So you're confessing
1: years. to an illegal act now, four totally. years later.
0: Yeah, I think I'm going to get into big trouble for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it took us four years, and by the time my daughter was born hmm. um, in the 70s, we had started the Family Center, which was an on-site child care center, where those of us who lived in the neighborhood or worked for Bank Street College could bring our children to work. Now, you would think that that would be easy, Stu. You would think that a College of Education would want an on-site child care mm. program, but they didn't.
1: Why not? <laughs> what was the resistance?
0: They were afraid that it would harm their brains. Honest to God, I was told that.
1: Wait, that the, that the kids would suffer? The kids would suffer,
0: yeah. Hmm. Uh, and the person who told me that was the president of the child care uh, the daycare council of America. And he'd seen a lot of bad childcare, so uh, you know there was a good reason to worry. Oh, mm-hmm. sorry, there's my kids calling me. That's oh. the one I'm talking about.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: sorry, I'll turn off my phone wherever it is, there it goes.
1: Thank you. <laughs> Oops, forgot to do that. Uh, the interference of work and life on each yeah. other, uh, yeah. the family life. Yeah. Um, so, it's um, pervasive. So
0: I started a child care program.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, ultimately, now the president of Bank Street sends his daughter there. It's People are very proud of it. My my um, daughter went there. I couldn't get it up and running for my son, and there were a group of us who did it. We've all stayed very good friends. There's nothing like starting a child care program together that bounds you mm-hmm. for life. Mm-hmm. And we all celebrate Thanksgiving together and, nice. and uh, are deeply involved in each other's life. And there's nothing like that support of your friends uh, when you're raising a child. It's really hard to do alone and having that support. But if you look truly at... It truly does
1: take a village, doesn't it?
0: It does take a village. Mm-hmm. And I was so grateful. I mean, I um, I told the president of bank street i was going to work and i might as well have really good child care um than crummy child care there was no choice about my working um but at that point there was it was thought that women had a choice Mm -hmm. i didn't actually have a choice my husband was in graduate school Mm -hmm. (laughs) we wanted to eat i worked but i wanted to work anyway because um i loved my job i was deeply committed to my career. I didn't feel guilty about that. Mm. Uh, My mother had worked, so I just, I didn't, I just thought it was kind of normal. But if you look at what companies are doing uh, in terms of supporting on or near site childcare, it was 7% in 2005 and it's 7% now. So no, no real
1: change. Well, how do you account for that?
0: Um, I think that uh, it's, expensive and uh, if you look at larger companies it's about 20 percent so uh, again remember our sample is small and large companies and so that's not bad 20 percent one out of a, every five companies helps people by having on our near child care but it's still um, certainly not mainstream so we've your question um, what kind of progress have we made um, we've made Um, we've made some progress, but it's still hard. And and Laura was right in looking at me to say, you know, it's really still hard. It's so hard. Mm. And it is. And and so you and I and those of us who are um, what my friend Ralph Smith from the Campaign for Grade-Level Reading calls the army of the persistent Mm. um, (laughs) uh, have a lot of work to do, and we joyfully do it. Um, And certainly one thing that's changed, and, Do your work has been so important in this is the belief about uh, whether women should work. Now, Mm -hmm. almost all of us have someone in our family uh, who's a woman who works if it's not ourselves. So that has gone from most people thinking that it would be better for all concerned uh, if the man earned the money and the woman stayed home and took care of the home and family about more than in 1977 when we started doing our nationally representative study, or when the first study of nationally representative study of the workforce was done, we didn't do it at that time. We at didn't the Families and
1: Work Institute. Yeah, we mm-hmm. didn't do
0: it till the 90s, but the Department of Labor did that first study. Um, it was about, you know, about seven and ten men and about um, about uh, who thought that women should be at home and about you know 4 to 5 in um in 10 women uh, and now it's gone to about 2 in 5 of men and women and they agree you know it's about the same
1: but Wait, there's
0: still 2 in 5, five who 20% who feel 40% 40% who feel that it would be better for all concerned if the a woman to stay at home and the man took care of the home and family. I think hmm. I think it's all of our desire to have a wife though. I think it's less pejorative. It's it's more like oh it would be really nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> to come home to dinner and um, If all
1: of us you by that of course you mean both men and women. Of
0: course I do. <laughs> yes yeah. just clarify all of us for... want a wife. Yeah. My husband's the cook in our family so we could call
1: huh. <laughs> so we've been talking Uh, about the current state of care for children, primarily from a child care perspective, and and how on-site and uh, near-site corporate child care hasn't grown, which is surprising to hear uh, in the last 10, 15 years, Um, that attitudes about what uh, mothers should be doing uh, have have changed. There's a more egalitarian worldview out there in our society, mm-hmm. but still, there are many who hold that things would be better if 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 mom was at home with the kids. So and we ask
0: about dads and people think increasingly um, that men can take just as good care of yeah. children as women can, which fits the research it's It's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it's true. Um, if you look at uh, child development research, how men are incredibly important and are uh, can be absolutely as sensitive and responsive and warm and caring and all of those things as, as women can, um, uh, you know, on average.
1: So it's just a social construction then it's a social construction. that, that yeah. women have had that role.
0: Yeah, some, some women are super sensitive and some aren't, and some men mm-hmm. are super sensitive and some aren't, so it averages out that um, that, that really men can be quite incredible um, uh, fathers and women can be quite incredible mothers. And we have also uh, no, um, you know, we have many diverse kinds of families. I, I did a study called Ask the Children that you mentioned, Stu, when you introduced me. And, and uh, in that study, I asked uh, kids whose parents were employed and kids whose parents um or uh, everyone had at least someone in their family who was employed but kids mm-hmm. whose um, mother was employed and kids whose mother wasn't and in some cases fathers um who were at home and and not uh to actually grade their parents and it was a it was a research kind of mm-hmm. a, a kind of a I would hate to be graded by my kids but it was <laughs> um, it was a research question and I found in field testing the study that if you ask kids to grade they got it if you ask kids how satisfied were th- with their blah blah, uh-huh. blah they were they, they also they were satisfied
1: grades they they grasped
0: <laughs> yeah got, grades <laughs> they got they got on grading on the curve and so you got much more variation in So what they say There was no difference in the way that they rated or graded their their moms when they were employed and their moms when they were at home and that was really a shock to people mhm and and I asked them for grades on things like is there for me when I'm sick and mm-hmm. knows what's really going on in my life and you know things like that that, that are somewhat time constrained um, and there was really no difference that it it, it uh, and that fits the research I mean uh, we did a review paper for the American Academy of Pediatrics um, a few years ago where we looked at the research on how being employed affects children and we found. Um, that uh, it, 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 it depends, you know, it depends on whether the woman thinks she should work. Mm-hmm. Um, if she thinks she should be at home and she's deeply guilty about it, you know, that has one impact.
1: So if there's she, uh, the question, let's just hang on to that for a moment, the, of the alignment of the, the woman's choices with her values and right. what she cares about. If, right. if there's alignment there, whatever the choice, then, then it, that's going to affect well the, the, the child's development?
0: Simple mm. as that. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: If we're doing something that we don't think is right, it shows in our behavior.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We communicate that even if we don't mean to.
1: And it hurts or our our helps kids. our kids.
0: It Yes. And so that's one thing that de- it depends on. And it depends on... But uh,
1: that's essentially a powerful idea, though. I want to underscore that for our listeners, how critically important we talk a lot on the show about you know clarifying what's most important to you and then figuring out how to live according to that Mm -hmm. in ways that benefit the people around you and so what your research on that question just reinforces the idea that uh you know it's it's not what other people think you ought to be doing it's really what you want to be doing figure out how to make that work for you and your family
0: right exactly right and Something. um and if you're living in a way that you don't think is right, you don't think it's good for you, don't think it's good for your kids, that shows and if you if you are. So it's not working per se, it's it's how you
2: mm-hmm. you
0: know whether it's you think it's the right thing for you mm-hmm. at this time and um and, and and that doesn't mean to say we don't have oh my gosh, should I be doing this or you know, I'm having a really bad day mm-hmm. um kind of feelings. This is this is the 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 deep-seated belief mm-hmm. versus the everyday hassle kind mm-hmm.
1: of view. Mm-hmm. What else did you find in the, in the Ask the Children study? And then I, I want to move to uh, Mind in the Making of what you're doing with that project. Okay. What, was, what were some of the other big ideas that came out of that and, and how they were received?
0: Uh, they, well, Ask the Children was the first study that ever asked young people how they felt about their employed parents. And I know why no one had ever done it. We didn't really want to know. <laughs> um, because i would and i'm writing a book on adolescence and i've i'm i'm hitting the same thing right now um uh, that we're not sure we want to know about adolescence but mm. um with uh what what happened to me when i was writing that book so often was that people would say oh you're finding out how kids feel about their their employed parents um um, why don't you talk to my kid? My kid would be great. I mean, I did a nationally representative sample, but mm-hmm. um, why don't you talk to my kid? And then they'd say, never mind, don't talk to my kid. Talk to somebody else's kid and tell me.
1: <laughs> and that was because I don't they were know. I
0: don't know. <laughs> anxious
1: about hearing things mm-hmm. that might make them uncomfortable or push yes. them to make changes?
0: Yes, and so I ask a question that kind of gets at that. It's kind of a fun question. I said, Um, The question, I ask it of children, and I ask, I had another sample of employed parents in that study, and I ask of children, if you had one wish that could improve the Mm -hmm. way your mothers or, separately, your fathers, and kids have all different kinds of families, so I'm, you know, I'm not saying that there's always a two-parent family, there Mm -hmm. certainly isn't. Of course. Um, But, I ask separately about mothers or fathers or so the person who's a mother to you because some kids are being raised by their grandparents,
1: mm-hmm. um, you know, except their aunts. Or <laughs>
0: their, their aunts or, yeah, their big sister.
1: Older sisters, right, or brothers. Or brother. mm-hmm.
0: so, it's, um, so I ask uh, if you could make one change that could uh, improve the way your mother, the person you think of as your mother or your father, if you, the person you think of as your father um, um, is um, – that could change improve your life mm-hmm. what would that wish be and I ask um, the sample of parents uh, not the parents of the same children but the sample of parents to guess what their kids would say and what do you think they guess
1: what What did they ask for
0: yeah what did they think their kids would wish for
1: more attention
0: yeah more time more attention mm-hmm. nope <laughs> that isn't what they wished for what I love research well, 56% of, of uh, parents said more time, more attention, be at home, those sorts of things. Um, if they only gave the kids one wish, and if they only had one wish, um, the majority wished, uh, the largest proportion wished that their parents were less tired and less stressed.
1: Less stressed.
0: Mm-hmm. In a way, that relates to attention. I right. Mean,
1: you can't give attention if were... you're
0: freaked out and tired and all that right, stuff. Right,
1: which makes it hard for them to be attentive. <laughs>
0: yep. Yeah. Um, So that was the Hmm. first wish. But it's different,
1: right? It's different being less tired, less stressed. It affects your parent's ability to attend to her child, his child. Exactly. But it's more than that. It's almost as though the child is feeling bad that the parent is feeling stressed.
0: They're worried. They were worried. Worry. They were worried. I mean, I asked that question directly and they were worried.
1: Worried that about, about their what?
0: parents' well-being, because mm-hmm. life is hard. We're, we're, it's not easy to manage work and mm-hmm. and uh, family life. And um, they they wished that their parents would earn more money. That was the second mm-hmm. wish, and that was because they thought if they earned more money, they'd be less stressed. I right. mean, that that came out in focus groups. That didn't right. come out in the study. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it was a really interesting study, but they. You know, they felt. I asked them what messages they want to give to the working parents of America, and it was like it's okay to work. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I wish your boss sometimes wouldn't yell at you, but <laughs> mm-hmm. it's okay to work. Um,
1: well, and even better if your work is somehow vitalizing or revitalizing and energizing and restorative for you because it gives your life meaning and purpose. In addition to money and the, you know food and shelter for us.
0: Well, you know, and that I just actually do want to talk about that, because that's, that's work that we've been doing um, at the Families and Workplace and now at SHRM for uh, an, actually since 2003, which is we've looked at what are the aspects of work that work for the employee and the employer. Um, the mm-hmm. project is called When Work Works, mm-hmm. and the idea is that there can be aspects of work that that are that kind of enriching, Uh, positive kind of environment that will benefit the adult, benefit the kids, benefit the employer. So it doesn't have to be a win-lose. It can be a Mm win-win. And so we've found um, in the – we have a paper that will be coming out fairly soon – at uh, with SHRM, which has taken over this uh, study, mm-hmm. and That's uh, the Society
1: we call- for Human Resources Management,
0: mm-hmm. and its the website is called When Work Works, and we have tons of free resources for you. Um, all all our stuff is free, which I'm really proud of. Um, and it's yes. um, what we found. We found that there's seven things. I don't know magic seven. I have seven skills. They turn out <laughs> to be seven things. There used to be six, but this year they became seven.
1: What are those seven keys? <laughs>
0: Well, job challenge and learning opportunities, having having an opportunity to learn something, um, having a supervisor who supports you to succeed on the job is second, um, not in any order, mm-hmm. not doing these in any order, um, having autonomy or some say over to how, how you do your job, um, working in a culture of respect, trust, and belonging, a place where you feel that you belong, where you're a part of the group that you work with. Um, having what we call a work life fit um, we don 't tend to use the word balance,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, so having uh, a job that um, where you can take care of personal or family issues um, and vice versa, um, being satisfied with your wages and your benefits and your opportunities to advance, and finally coworkers uh, who mm-hmm. support your job success so those are the seven things and they 're pretty powerful, for example. If you work in a place with um, a, a, a high score on the effective workplace index, mm-hmm. 70, 55% of you are highly engaged with your job compared to 7% if mm-hmm. you're not in a, um, an effective workplace. or. Uh, 72% versus 3% in terms of job satisfaction, or 77% who want to stay on the job versus 30%.
1: So it matters a lot in terms of retention, engagement. What's the impact of those factors on families and children?
0: We look at, uh, at health um, and work-family conflict and stress and those sorts of things, and equally powerful. Um, if you're in an effective workplace, 42% of you are in excellent health non-effective 12 percent. Mm-hmm. Um, um, uh, sleep problems, 75 percent compared to 49 percent. So not a, so a lot of us are having sleep problems. Um, uh, work-family mm. conflict, um, uh, that's pretty high. So it goes from 31 percent to 15 percent.
1: So for those um, listening out there, uh, who are thinking about perhaps moving jobs or trying to change their job environment, what advice do you have th- for them about making work work for them, whether they're in a managerial role where you have more discretion or if you're an owner uh, or if you're an employee?
0: I think that you um, th- that these, these ingredients of an effective workplace um, are things that you ought to look at. We don't tend to look at... Um, you know do you have a say over how to do your job or mm-hmm. do you um do your coworkers support you or is it kind of a backstabbing place or um can you um, are you treated with respect and do you feel a a, a sense of a belonging or um, those sorts of things and and those those kind of <laughs> no cost ingredients in a sense mm-hmm. um, make a lot of difference in our in our health and our well-being and our, our kids' development. And we found when we did that review for the American Academy of Pediatrics that parents' jobs actually affect um, their children's well-being. For mm-hmm. those of us who have jobs that we love and where we thrive, we're more likely to come home um, excited and, and happy about our job, even if we are tired.
1: Mm. So so what the kids were saying in your Ask the children's study about being tired and stressed there's probably a qualitative distinction between the kind of tiredness that comes from a satisfying but still challenging day doing work you care about as opposed to just being burnt out because of a exactly. uh, hostile environment at work.
0: Exactly. One of the findings, though, that we had was that um, many kids didn't think that their parents liked their job, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's because we, I guess we as adults tend to come home and complain. <laughs> so
1: um,
0: only two in five kids thought that their parents really liked their job a lot, wow. and three in five parents did like their jobs a lot. So.
1: And that affects the kids.
0: Yeah, so we need to remember to tell the good stories, not just the bad stories.
1: Ah, that's wise advice. Uh, I want to turn to Mind in the Making and mm-hmm. what, what you've done with that project and what you're doing now. Tell us about that.
0: Well, uh, remember the person who told me that <laughs> poor quality child care would affect kids' brains. Um, I've been interested in brains ever since. Um, I did a book looking at exemplary child care and found then, as a number of studies have, that really good child care is a, is a positive in kids' development.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But uh, I began to ask the question in 2000 of what can we do uh, to help children thrive um, that I was finding. And Studies are now confirming this that about 40 to 60 percent are not engaged in, in learning, not engaged in school. And um, this is the work of Jennifer wow. Frederick.
1: Mm. And That's such a distressing number.
0: Yeah, it makes me crazy. And so we got to change it. <laughs> but how do we change it? And mm-hmm. so I went out um, to look at the best research on what uh, and this is, this is uh, behavioral research on children and what helps them thrive. Um, what do we know about what can most help children grow up as healthy and and uh, thriving people? And began to see in this, and I went out with a film crew because um, I talked to, to groups of parents before I went, and they said they didn't want someone to say research says blah blah blah, you mm-hmm. should do this, or you shouldn't mm-hmm. do that. Like uh, I want to know who that person is and how that person knows about my kids. <laughs> yeah. mm. uh, so I, I take I've. Taken camera crews into um, the labs of some of the best researchers around the world now for 18 years, have made more than 100 videos. And midway into my journey, I began to see that there are this uh, set of of um, skills, life skills, I call them, that um, we need to promote. That it that that life and learning isn't just about a B and one two threes and all those sorts of things. That there are some skills that we can help children learn mm-hmm. that will that are really will make a critical difference. Um, what are and, those?
1: Um, I uh, think. W- were with, you going there? Sorry, I, I jumped in. But uh, d- can we describe them and then get sure. around to what parents can do to help to cultivate them?
0: Yes, absolutely, we can. Um, and I, I want you to. Um, if your viewers are interested in this, go to org. That's our website. Mm-hmm. And um, we've created, at the Bezos Family Foundation, we've created an app called Vroom, like that noise that kids make, V-R-O-O-M, Vroom, Vroom, Vroom. It's for younger kids, but it's got, we've written more than, uh, a thousand tips for how you can take the time that you already have with kids. We're not into a guilt trip, but take the time that you already have and use them as brain-building moments. So uh, we've got tips for how you use bath time and bedtime and, um, you know, getting out of the door rush hour in the morning, mm-hmm. all those things for, for learning moments, so, first skill that's important is focus and self-control. That's being able to pay attention when you need to pay attention and having the self-control to achieve a goal. That executive function skills, which are um, skills that that largely take place uh, in the prefrontal cortex of the brain, the last part of the brain to develop, um, but connected to all other parts of the brain, um, are in a place where we set goals and and mm-hmm. uh, and achieve them and plan and those sorts of things, um, and so uh, people who can who can um, have self-control um, matter. So it's so I'll uh, I'll tell you you probably know it, but the marshmallow test is um, famous do. test. <laughs> the delayed gratification.
1: Our listeners might not.
0: Yeah. So this is a researcher. He was at Stanford at the time named Walter Michele. He's at Columbia now. And he, um, didn't, he he was not doing a study that he thought was going to be so important, but he wanted to see about kids delaying gratification. So we put uh, three marshmallows <coughs> on a plate. And you had a choice of if you could wait, um, then you could have two marshmallows. <coughs> the flu is getting me. Sorry.
1: Uh, do you want to get some water? <laughs> yeah. But what what, uh, what Ellen's describing here <laughs> is uh, a really important uh, research study that uh, Walter Michelle did, which basically proved how important it was to, uh, to be able to delay gratification in terms of uh, all kinds of other outcomes. Um, I'm hoping that she's going to get some water to cool. clear her throat. Listening. Oh, there you go. you good.
0: I'm good. I hope so. All right. Um, so, so
1: so the Michelle marshmallow test, what was the upshot of that? Could
0: you wait for two marshmallows um, mm-hmm. later versus one marshmallow now? And what he did is look at what kids did to wait. <clears throat> one of the things that they did was um, to walk away hmm. um, or to think of themselves as in a movie or to talk to themselves or to think of the marshmallow as a fluffy cloud or a piece of cotton, and those kinds of um, ways of, of uh, managing your emotions are really important to adults. In mm-hmm. fact, the research of Ethan Kroos has found that um, having a distance between a problem and yourself really makes a difference. Um, if you can step back and, mm-hmm. and uh, think, of, think of yourself as on a TV show or fly on the wall, you're much more likely to Oh, sorry, I handled something that's
1: difficult. Take some more water. Yep. I yeah. the 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 capacity to step back and observe, and to be in a reflective observer role gives you the pause, uh, and the and the uh, ability to um, t- to be able to not act impulsively, which is what the this this first skill is all about, right? It's uh, it's about being able to control and, right. and to exert executive function, to, to think right. to think beyond the moment.
0: Right. And executive functions are the skills that help us um, think flexibly, um, pause or, or, or um, no, don't go on autopilot, but use self-control and uh, to keep the information in our minds that we need in uh, in order to use it, those are the three basic brain processes so wh- that lead to these that are behind all of these skills.
1: And what what are the other ones?
0: Uh, perspective taking means that you um, understand how you think and feel, and how someone else thinks and feels. Mm-hmm. It's empathy uh, plus because it's really understanding how uh, how people think um, and and feel. And uh, studies have found that it's. Um, if you're hearing all those pings, my children are seeing how my cough is going. <laughs> they're all calling me. Are you okay, Mom? Are you okay? Children.
1: Grown-up children. You've brought your children to work again, Ellen.
0: <laughs> I did, and here they are. They're calling me. <laughs> I, I didn't answer the phone, and now they're texting me. Okay, Mom, are you okay? <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, we've just got another 15 minutes here. Hang on, kids.
0: Um. Yep. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, People who are are good at perspective taking are less likely to get into conflicts. One study mm. found that when teachers taught children to do that, they were uh, much less likely to fight mm. um, with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, the next skill is communicating, which is thinking about what it is you want to say and how it will be heard, so that you're an intentional. You know, you've got that elevator pitch down. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're an intentional communicator, and that makes a big difference in your being able to be heard and understood. Um, making connections and making unusual connections—that's the basis of creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, um, critical thinking in a world where their news uh, and truth are optional, uh, we really need to be able to understand what's accurate and what's not, um, and uh, that—that's really an essential skill. Um, The—and I can talk about how to promote. Uh, these, and again, we have endless tips to do these.
1: I I Um, want to finish the list, though, before we get to how listeners can access an advice that you have for listeners about how to try to develop these skills in their children and to help their caregivers and people in school to do the same.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, So the... um Next one is taking on challenges, and I, I think that's really important. It's not just coping with challenge, but it's trying that next hard thing. Uh, uh, my mother would have said it's getting back on the horse after you've fallen mm-hmm. off or the bike after you've fallen mm-hmm.
2: off.
0: Um, it's um, And one of the ways that we do help children learn that is by the way we praise them. For example, if we praise their personalities, this is the research of Carol Dweck.
2: Yes, the um, growth sure mindset. You
0: know yep. If we praise their personalities, they're less likely to try something hard. If we praise the strategies that they use, um, they're they're more willing to take on a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, so, so and,
1: translate that for uh, with an example for, for our listeners. Such an so one.
0: Um, your your child is really struggling, uh, trying to get something done, and um, a way of, of helping them do that. So a challenge. Is not to say, oh, you're so, so smart, um, or or talking about their failure, but to say uh, to help them break it down into the strategies that they can use. And and if you're praising them, to praise the strategies. You you didn't want to do that math problem, but you 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 looked at one part of it and you tried it, and you didn't get the right answer, but you kept working on it and you mm-hmm. figured it out. So um, and you know explaining talking about what strategy they use mm-hmm, to figure it out mm-hmm. would make a difference. Another thing that is really important is what Stephanie Carlson calls social distancing, which is um, thinking about how someone else might handle it. So she did one experiment where kids could had a pretty impossible problem to solve. But if they thought of themselves as someone they admired, let's say Batman um, for a kid.
2: Black um, Panther.
0: Black Panther, right. (laughs) I'm out of date, (laughs) although my family has seen it. Uh Um, uh, Then they were uh, much more likely to persist. Uh, They gained almost a year in their ability to persist by just um, imagining how someone else would handle something. So Hmm. there are... Lots of techniques that you can use to promote these S- skills. What
1: are some of your particular favorites that you think listeners would benefit from hearing?
0: My favorite ways of... of Developing
1: um, these skills for, for, well, for parents. Well, he- here's,
0: here's what I think. I think that we 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 see discipline as managing bad behavior. And and um, and what I think is so this is my particular all-time favorite, and then I'll be happy mm-hmm. to do any any challenge that you. Why don't you bring up a challenge and I'll I'll uh,
2: hmm. try to solve it. Okay, but,
0: um, that would be fun. But what um, so instead of seeing discipline as like getting your kid to listen, getting your kid to be good, getting your kid to obey, um, if you see um, a discipline as an opportunity to teach a life skill. Um, that would be uh, really important. Um, So it would be, um, and and one of the most important findings in some of this research is the importance of what's called autonomy support, which is um, adults not fixing problems for kids, but helping them learn to fix them for themselves. We've got, and I know because you teach in a college a university, um, we've got so many kids on anti antidepressants these days and mm-hmm. um and we're worried about kids uh, kids coping and i think that there are a number of reasons for that uh, but one of them is that um we have tended to fix things for kids too much rather than mm-hmm. helping them learn how to how to solve problems for themselves and mm. i think we can start with that quite early so um a kid who grabs the iPhone and, and and doesn't want to give it back and the time is up, too much screen time, and doesn't want to give it back. If you uh, have a... And I'm, so I'm talking about, let's say, a 4-year-old, 5-year-old. Um, you have a talk with the child. Before, so I think it is, you know, iPhones and cell phones can be addictive. So you can sort of take them as addictive. But you teach the child to manage the addiction. So you say, mm-hmm. okay, we're going to figure out how long... Um, you can have it. You can have it for two shows or whatever the time is, and then. Uh, but I want you to have a plan for how you're going to manage it when it's time to give it up. Hmm. Um, so give me uh, how you're going to manage it. Mm-hmm. I want a plan,
1: mm-hmm. and then. So the, uh, the child has to develop the idea. The child plan.
0: develops the idea for how he's going to or she's going to manage mm-hmm. giving up the the screen time.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, what are you going to do? What if it's hard? How are you going to manage that? Mm-hmm. And then. So what have you done? You've given, instead of dealing with an addiction, you know, or a potential addiction, yeah, no, it you've is. given the child a gift. The child has learned how to deal with something that's hard to give up. Mm-hmm. Cool. You know, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is a wonderful tip. Uh, what else do you hear when you're out uh, working with parents and, and working parents in particular? What are the, what are the kinds of uh, issues that, that are most pressing? What's, what's the thing you hear most these days?
0: Well, I think that there there can be the feeling that we've done something um bad to our kids in a sense by being away and we have to make it up for them. Mm. Um and so um that I think is so that's not good because then the kids have the upper edge in a sense, you know, you they, they 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 know that that you're that you feel like you owe them something, need to do something for them and that's not good. So I mean, I think you really have to uh growth for parents comes from uh from reconciling what we expect and what's actually happening and we have to look at that issue that I raised before which is is it, are we really doing something bad to them no we're not mm-hmm. <laughs> you know uh we 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 as adults um have to work and um and want to work um some of us you know stay at home for a while, some of us don't, mm-hmm, some mm-hmm. of us work long hours, some of us don't, some of us, um, you know, there's all kinds of variety, but uh, but if you're going to do it, just coming to terms with it, asking yourself, is the expectation realistic or not? And if it's not, trying to change, because that's the way we grow as the, parents.
1: The expectation of...
0: Needing to make it, uh, make, uh, make it up to your child, mm-hmm. or you're doing something that's harmful to your child, you're, you're not... Um, I mean if there are things about the working that you need to fix, like you 've got a boss who's driving you crazy to figure out a, try to figure out a way to manage it, or if your child is in childcare that you don't like, see if there's a way that you can fix it even a little bit um, um, even those little things, and if your kids see you trying to fix things um, you know solve problems uh, for yourself, then they learn about solving problems. For themselves.
1: Well, especially if you're telling them about how you're dealing with the problem and how you're wrestling right. with trying to find a solution. And right. So that We're they role can see. For our kids. Yeah, exactly. We, we've only got another minute or so, unfortunately, Ellen. Um, a question I've been asking everybody on the show this year uh, is something I'm trying to just give a little bit more mind share to, and that is compassion. Uh, which your work is certainly infused by, and I'm just wondering how you think about how you bring compassion to your work on a regular basis.
0: Um, That is a great question. I think that um, all of us have tough times in life. Um, I had two friends who died this weekend, so... Um all of us have you know have have rough things in our lives that we that we have to deal with, and i don 't think that I could have dealt with it any any of these things, good or bad without without real compassion for what other people are feeling and not just what i 'm feeling so if i 'm in a conflict with someone don 't like what they 've done they're doing it for a reason and trying really to understand. What's that reason? It must make it make mm-hmm. sense to them. How can I help them? How can I make it work for them, not just work for me? Mm-hmm. So when I do that, when I'm a, my best self, and mm-hmm. I'm not always,
2: mm-hmm.
0: when I do that, it just it works so wonderfully. Yeah. Um, I think compassion is is critically important, and and um, and being grateful. We we can look at the things that are wrong, but being particularly for me after this after losing two people whom I, whom I really loved, um, being grateful for what we have every single day.
1: So important. Ellen, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show uh, with, with me again. How can listeners find out more about Mind in the Making and your other great work?
0: Um, mind in the Making, all one word, dot .org, O-R-G. And we have these skill-building moments that, um, or prescriptions for learning that tell you how to turn everyday problems into, um, into ways to teach kids skills. Um, we have a library of books where you can get tips for how to read them in ways that promote these life skills,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, or go to vroom, V-R-O-O-M.org, at the Bezos Family Foundation, mm-hmm. uh, vroom, and, um, and you will get... Lots of tips and apps and fun things to do with your kids. Um, If you're um, wanting resources for how to manage work and family life, go to Mm whenworkworks.org. And hopefully we've got lots of resources for you that will help you manage your your own work and family life or help your employer uh, be more Mm -hmm, family-friendly.
1: It's an incredible body of work that you have created, and I'm very grateful to you for that and for being on the show tonight. Thanks so much, Ellen.
0: I'm really grateful for your leadership, Stu. You've been such an incredible colleague.
1: I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ellen Galinsky. In addition to encouraging you to visit the sites that Ellen mentioned, Let me challenge you, invite you to do one of the things that we just talked about, and that is to share some of the positive aspects of your working life with your kids. This is a challenge or invitation to parents or those who are responsible for rearing children. Most kids mainly hear complaints from us if they hear anything about our working lives. But there are benefits to their knowing that you feel good about your work and that there are aspects of it that enrich your life, that give it meaning and purpose and an opportunity to serve. Whatever it is that is of value to you in your work, why not try looking for an opportunity to share that feeling with your kids. They will likely benefit from your doing so. I would love to hear from you if you indeed do try that. You can write to me, Wharton.upen.edu, or get to me on Twitter, at Stu Friedman. I'm also interested in hearing from you if you have ideas about who you'd like to hear on our show. So feel free to reach out and give me your suggestions. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, check out our blog at workandlifepodcast.com. Join the conversation by tweeting at Stu Friedman. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me.